The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect that of the staff and management of Good Karma Brands, but are the sole responsibility of the hosts and guests of this particular show. America may have many, many days, but they will be full of trouble. There will be no rest. There will be no tranquility in this country. Yes, until a nation comes to time with our problem. Bringing you social and political commentary from his mouth to your ears. Breaking down the issues which matter to you. You are not put here to be a white man's footstool. You are put here to represent the very best in God's world. Legendary civil rights icon, the Reverend Jesse Jackson in the studio. Reverend Jackson, how are you? Mr. Reverend, good morning on this chilly Milwaukee morning. And I am pleased to have one of the founding members of the Black Panther Party, Chairman Bobby Seale. Mr. Chairman, how are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing just fine. Thank you. From Mr. Eric Holder. Mr. Holder, so good to see you. How are you? Well, I'm fine, man. How you been? It's been a long time. Haven't seen you for a while. The Dr. Cornell West. Dr. West, how are you, sir? My dear brother, you're so kind, you're so generous, so man, but I salute you and the work that you were doing there. Doing a magnificent job there, Wisconsin. Stream live on 1017thetruth.com. Call in with your questions or comments. 833-212-1017. Join us on social media at 1017thetruth. It may not be what you expect to hear, but I will definitely give you what you need to know. Are you ready for the truth? I want the truth you can't handle the truth now live from the american family insurance studio at the avenue in the heart of downtown milwaukee here is sherwin hughes good morning welcome to the program today's monday march 6th 2023 let me start the show off by saying happy birthday to dj brother z zach simmons zach happy birthday to you sir how was your weekend good all right did you do anything or anyone dj you worked all weekend okay good well hopefully you'll get a chance to celebrate oh i made my debut uh at the shamrock shuffle oh you did how was that it was it was good it was my first time like even attending that's a big event in this city it's fact the shamrock shuffle is actually bigger than saint patrick's day itself that's why they rarely have it on saint patrick's day Glad you're able to make your debut there. I got a few things I'm going to talk about today. Um, I hope you guys have a chance to see Selective Outrage, which is Chris Rock's stand-up that premiered on Netflix, I believe, on Saturday. I watched it first thing Sunday morning as I was occupied Saturday evening, and I'm glad that I watched it, and I'm glad that Chris Rock was able to respond to the Will Smith slap. I knew there was something very intentional about how quiet Rock had stayed. There had been a couple of stand-up performances that he had he has done over the last year since the Oscars. And he's mentioned things about the slap, but never went into great detail like Chris Rock can when he is exhibiting his art. And he is, make zero mistake about it, an artist. And I'm glad that he waited because, first of all, he used the moment. It was his moment to describe his point of view of what happened that night at the Oscars. I know we talked about it exclusively and exhaustively here on 1017 Truth. In fact, everybody talked about it. Everybody gave their different perspectives. But you know what was interesting about the whole thing with the slap? Not to reinvigorate an old topic, but Jada came up in every conversation about why Will slapped Chris Rock. Not necessarily because 
of how offensive Chris Rock was to Jada Pinkett Smith, but because of how much control she has over Will Smith. I'm just going to say this because I've read some of your commentary on some of the articles that have been posted and all the major news outlets have written about selective outrage, that stand-up comedy special that premiered over the weekend on Netflix, Chris Rock. And he, he took the last eight minutes. So the whole hour, Chris Rock was talking about his regular things that he talks about as a regular stand-up comedy production. He talked about wokeness. He talked about political correctness. He talked about abortion. He hit some of the hot-button issues. But that last eight minutes was right on time, and it was scathing. And here's the thing that I loved about it. He, he messed up the joke. And I'm not going to give it away because I want everybody to see it. If you don't have a Netflix account, steal somebody's password. He was so emotionally invested in that response because think about this. It was a year in the making. This was Chris Rock's time to finally say how he felt. And he was so excited and so animated and probably had so much anxiety because it all kind of came down to the last eight minutes of that stand-up special. He messed up the joke. But as someone who does live media broadcasting five days a week, I get it. Sometimes we have this point that we've been trying to make, we want to make, and we wait and we hold it and we let our emotions brew and stew. And we hope that it can come out with a very punchy and poignant delivery. But sometimes you get so overwhelmed with delivering this information that you have so much emotion tied into you mess it up. But that was a live performance. That was live. Netflix didn't have a chance to edit that. And I appreciated even his flub. And he, he made note of his, oh, I messed up the joke. And he went back and he corrected it. But that, to me, made it even more special, even more real, and even more human. So for those of you that have seen it, what do you think? Selective Outrage, the Chris Rock stand-up special, which premiered on Netflix on Saturday for the last eight-ish or so minutes, he addressed the Will Smith slap. And I think he did so in excellent fashion. Because here's what y'all have to remember about offending someone. If you offend somebody and you think you you really got them, right? Especially if you do it publicly to someone who's got a big ego. Because, look, both men have no shortage of ego or sense of self. In fact, if you ask them who they are and you get them in a vulnerable private moment, they will probably tell you in some respects they feel that they are larger than life or at least larger than most of the, the lives surrounding them or larger than the lives of the people that support them and buy their tickets and buy their albums, etc. Both men could probably admit something like that. And so if you offend a man, let alone a black man. In America, when white people are watching and rooting for our downfall and always trying to exacerbate our our differences as black people and always trying to be the wedge between us so we don't come together. Like that was a real serious moment. And so when you do something like that, when Will Smith took it upon himself, and I'll be honest with you, I thought it was a part of the act. I really did. I was like, ain't no way somebody like Will Smith, who was the polite, clean rapper who talked about parents just not understanding and summer madness. And and remember this getting jiggy with it. I don't even know what a jiggy is, but I got with it. That dude would never slap somebody, let alone another African-American man. I didn't think in a million years. I thought the Oscar, just like everything else, it wanted clickbait. 
It wanted views and it wanted likes, so they scripted something because it, it didn't look real. And why in the hell didn't anybody stop Will Smith from just walking up to the stage? Did he beeline to Chris Rock? Shouldn't there be more security for hosts? However, I'm digressing. But you have to remember this. If you offend somebody, even if you think it's in grand fashion or if you lash out in a moment of anger and you do something to somebody, and you think, yeah, I'll show them I really got them. Here is the fatal mistake that people make when they strike first or when they think they really offend somebody. You have your moment where you slap somebody or you hit somebody or you tell somebody off or I don't know, you post something mean and nasty about somebody on social media. And then, boom, you have your moment. You got them. You beat them. You embarrassed them in front of all the people. You got in all the words you wanted to get in. You wanted to hurt that person. You wanted to demoralize that person. You got it. Here's what you have to remember. For the rest of their life, they can strike back at you whenever they want. You got to keep this in mind whenever you offend somebody, whenever you lash out at somebody, especially when it's public. Now, when it's private, that's different because then that remains between you two. But if you offend somebody publicly, someone who has just as much of an audience as you do, you got to be careful because they will sit in the weeds, in the bushes, and they will wait like a sniper until the right time. And Chris Rock did exactly that. And I'm going to say this, and I don't want to hear no argument nor debate about it from any of y'all. Not nan one of y'all is going to argue with me or debate this next thing that I'm about to say. Chris Rock's prowess as an intergenerational comedian. There are things that Chris Rock has, has said in stand-ups in the 90s that people still use today, that's still relevant today, like his delivery, his cadence. I can hear it echoing through every modern comedian, black comedian right now, even some white ones. He is an intergenerational, transformational, not even just a, com a stand up comedian. He's a sociologist. The way he delivers things about race and society and culture. He makes it clear. His problem. It's not with women. It's not with gays. It's not with some other group. It's not with Latinos and Hispanics. His problem is with white people. And the way that he is able to deliver his perspective on race, it's pure genius. Chris Rock's art of being a stand-up comedian and, quite honestly, a sociologist, which I think Dave Chappelle mimics some of the content and delivery and the diction of Chris Rock. And, and Dave would probably admit that. And Dave is the greatest. However, Dave is the greatest of right now. There's a period of time where Chris Rock was the greatest absolutely of all time as well. Goats tend to cycle from one generation to the next. But Chris Rock's repertoire of stand-up comedy and the other things that he has done, his television shows, his documentaries on hair, all of the things he's done far outseeds the entire catalog of Will Smith's entertainment because it is much more durable and long-lasting. Will Smith has made some great movies. He has. But think about how Will Smith started as the simple, unoffensive, corporate, ha-ha, almost cartoonish rapper. Everybody loved the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but his character was goofy. His character was childlike and immature. His character was a walking stereotype of black men, especially because the character that Will Smith played in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air didn't have a father. 
And that was a was a stamp and a mark on black men in this country, because if you look at somebody and you laugh at their character and then you know what their character is actually about, then that stereotype becomes true. We laughed at his exploits in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but he was another black boy, immature and buffoonish with no daddy. And here's the thing about humor. Humor can be a permanent imprint on someone's understanding and perspective, right? Because Will Smith made us laugh with his childlike buffoonery with Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, because this is where a lot of us really got to know him. I mean, his music was one thing, but his music was never, like he was never like a pioneer of hip-hop. He was just another genre that existed in hip-hop. Will Smith will never be listed amongst the greatest rappers. In fact, on a list of 100, you got to make the list like 135 rappers for Will Smith to even appear. Now remember, this is how his original came to Flint, came to how he came to fame, if I can get the words out. But he's not a top rapper. Chris Rock is a top comedian, top performer, top entertainer. Chris Rock can sell more tickets and make more money at a single show than if Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff did a tour of their greatest hits, which people under 40 probably don't even know. When you use humor to make your point or if you use humor to define someone, it becomes much more permanent. I think how Chris Rock handled his moment of revenge in response to not just Will, but also to controlling ass Jada was monumental. And I think it is going to take Will Smith down several notches because the entire country is laughing at Will Smith and Jada Pinkin because he said something in that standup that just stuck. He said that his wife, Jada Pinkett, hurt Will Smith worse than Will Smith ever could have hurt Chris Rock. And at that moment, for me, mic drop. Got some things I want to talk about today, including a little bit of history, since we didn't learn very much of it in school, and now that Black History Month is over. Oh, it's Women's History Month, so we got to make sure we make note of that. I want to talk about the Civil War, but from a different perspective. Most of y'all think, well, this is a long time ago. Civil War, the North and the South, they fought over slavery. The North won. Wash your hands of it. Let's all move on. Well, let me introduce a different perspective on the Civil War. We're going to do that today as well. And, of course, your questions, your comments, all of the things are welcome here on 101.7 The Truth, our phone number, in case you forgot it. It's 833-212-1017, 833-212-1017. Two one two one zero one seven. You are listening to the truth with Sherwin Hughes on the new one zero one seven. The truth. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. It's the truth with Sherwin Hughes on one zero one seven. The truth. The truth app and one zero one seven. The truth dot com. Dreamed of you this morning. Then came the dawn and I thought you were here with me If you could only see how much I love you You'd want to trust me Welcome back to the program 833-212-1017 Some of y'all have the number already Thank you guys for the birthday wishes. John says, happy birthday. I hope you have birthday sacks today. John, I've been having birthday sacks all weekend. 
kind of want to tell y'all what I did this weekend. So Friday, I went to the auto show. My lady took me to the auto show. And then we went to lunch at the Capitol Grill. She paid. Saturday, we hung out, chilled for a bit, went furniture shopping because she's looking for some new couches, and I am too. And then we went to my favorite sushi joint. You know, I like the sushi now. I really do like sushi. And my favorite sushi joint, it's not downtown. It's not on the east side. I know there's sushi joints all over the place. It's by Southridge. It's called Kyoto. And this is how I know it's a bomb sushi joint. Because when you walk into Kyoto, and we went early. We went at 5 o'clock on Saturday. That's not usually a very busy time for dinner. Usually, if anything, busy time at you know popular restaurants is earlier on Fridays because people boom to get off of work and that's when they go in and hit to the restaurant. But Saturdays it's usually a little bit later. Usually Saturday seven o'clock, seven thirty is real busy. Kyoto was packed at five o'clock. Well, this is how I know I am confirmed and justified in my love for that restaurant. It's on like seventy fourth and Greenfield. It's in a little strip mall. If you drove past that area, you would probably never even notice it unless you knew what was there. But when you walk into Kyoto. Every person on the staff is Japanese. All of them. The chefs. Because you can, you can sit right there at this little a little bar and watch them make the sushi. They're, uh, they're Japanese. Every last one. Not Korean. They're not Chinese. They're not Thai. They're not Filipino. They're not Hmong. They are Japanese. Even the person that your host is also Japanese. Your servers at Kyoto are Japanese. But here's the piece de resistance. When you see other Japanese people in the restaurant, that's how you know it's good and it's authentic. Last time you went to a Mexican restaurant, I bet you saw a bunch of black people. Last time you went to Wong's Walk, you ain't see no Chinese people in there. You know you've got good ethnic cuisine when people of that nationality and that ethnicity are eating in the restaurant. So actually the table right behind us was a group of Japanese gentlemen, you see. And our server barely knew English. I mean, I want to tell you this, but I want to be able to do the imitation of our server without sounding racist. And I don't want to offend anybody because Sherwin Hughes is not an offensive person. I just, I deliver information as I receive it. So we had, I kind of, gender ambiguous Japanese server at Kyoto. And I've never had bad service at this restaurant. In fact, the service that we had on Saturday was not bad either. So she comes to the table. It's, oh, hello. Uh, you look over me. You, you like something to drink? And we ordered our little drinks, whatever. So, okay, be right back. And she takes off. She comes back with me. Oh, are you ready to order? And we put in our orders, right? I got my little maki rolls, my little dragon rolls, my little sushi rolls. My lady got her little rolls, got a little thing she got, okay? And then, okay, very good. And then she takes off like a ninja. Our server at Kyoto. Just gone. She just disappears. Like a like a breeze. I noticed that it was taking an unusually long time for us to get our food because I saw tables that were seated after us that were getting their food before us. And I, I didn't say nothing about it because I'm enjoying the conversation. 
with my lady. We're talking and laughing about things like we always do. And then a few minutes later, our server comes back and she's kind of humble. And she said, oh, I'm like, oh, what's wrong? Because she's talking. Here's the thing. She's talking to me. She's not talking to my lady. She's talking, looking directly at me. She said, oh, oh, I'm like, oh, what's <laughs> what's wrong? She said, I have I have her in my pants. I said, what? If I'm lying, may God strike me down in the studio right now. She said, I have her. I said, I don't I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't know. I have her in my pants. I write down your order on ticket. I put ticket in pocket. It fell out to her. I have I am not lying to you. You know how servers sometimes wear this, it's got pockets. It's like an kind of like an apron where they'll keep their pen and their writing pad where they take the order. So they have like this apron they tie around their waist. I'm not lying to y'all. She takes the little apron thing she's wearing that has the pockets in it where they keep their pen and their writing pad, and she lifts it up and exposes what's maybe a a P-shaped hole in her pants. And she and she shows it to me. And when I say it was mere centimeters from her vagina, I freaked out because she thought maybe I didn't believe her when she said she had I had her in my pants. She said her. And I was like, okay. And she pulls up the little apron thing. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, you got her. You're oh, fine. Okay. That's fine. But here's what I think actually happened. She probably lost our ticket because the restaurant was very, very busy. And she had to come over to our table and give us an excuse as to why our food was taking so long. So she really exposes this tiny hole in her pants and says that our ticket, which is like a three by five inch piece of paper, and the size of the hole was smaller than your pinky nail. She said, oh, a ticket fell out of her. I said, I go put a ticket again right away. And me and my girl started cracking up and everything was fine. She brought our food first. Then the appetizers came in later because she had to, uh, you know, resubmit our ticket for our order. But then a couple of minutes into our meal, she comes over with three shot glasses. I think as an apology for, quote unquote, our original order ticket falling out of the her in her pants. But here's what I didn't get. So she messed up. She lost our ticket. It's fine. Our food came out, you know, late, which is okay because I didn't mind because I like that restaurant. But she brought three shots. So she messed up. So she should have bought a shot for me, which she did, and a shot for my lady, which she did. But she brought herself a shot, too. And we all sitting at our table drinking shots. And it was it was sake. So if you've never been to Kyoto before. They have a whole page of different types of sake. I've only had one type of sake. But at Kyoto, they've got different varieties, different flavors, different brands of sake. Got a whole page of it on the menu. It's literally its own page in the menu, all the different sake. And so my girl and I, we were looking at the sake because I'm not really familiar with it. My girl's not really familiar with it either. Now, we didn't order any sake, but we saw how many varieties there were. And I think that probably intimidated us because where in the hell do you start? I thought sake was just sake. It was a rice liquor. That's what it is. But it had a whole bunch of different varieties. So she brings us the, these three shots of sake. She messed up our order, but then took it upon herself to not just buy us each a shot of sake. She had a shot of sake, too, almost rewarding herself for messing up our order. We didn't trip. That's fine. She didn't put it on the bill. And the sake was delicious. It was it was sweet, kind of. It had a little hint of sweet. It was very smooth. Very, very smooth and sweet. So remember, we had this menu with this whole page in the menu of different types of sake. And it was served warm. It was very, it, it was like a very warm, almost hot. 
And so we asked our server, oh, what kind of sake was that? We, we see that you have a whole page dedicated to sake on the menu. And she said, oh, hot sake. And we said, oh, no, no, we know it was hot because we tasted it and it was very warm. It was very good. But no, what kind of sake was it so we can order it again? Like, what was the name? What was the brand? What was the vintage? of it? Oh, no, hot sake. And she walked away. So that was Saturday night. <laughs> Sunday, we went to uh, Still Furniture Shop and went to Kohler's and Steinhoffel's. And then we went downtown. You know, there's a new, I don't know what it was about this weekend that we were doing all the things Japanese. It's a new Japanese steakhouse. It's hibachi joint. It's three levels. The ground level, they got karaoke. The main level is a dining area and a really nice bar. And then the upper level, the third level, it's right on Milwaukee Street. In fact, it's right next to my favorite Greek restaurant, Uzo. It's called a Ninja Japanese Steakhouse. Because I love Uzo, and we were actually in the neighborhood of Uzo. Uzo wasn't open uh, yesterday, so we went to this new Japanese steak joint. And I saw on Milwaukee did an article. Uh, it's called Ninja, the Japanese Steakhouse, right there on Milwaukee Street, the 700 block of Milwaukee Street on the east side of Milwaukee Street. So we're like, oh, let's go and check it out. And I remember it used to be a sports bar called Zim's years and years ago. Zim's closed. The space was vacant for a very long time. Now it's called Ninja. And we just happened to go randomly. It's not like we were particularly on a, a Japanese kick. It's just this was a Japanese weekend, apparently. I celebrated my birthday with the Japanese this weekend. So we walk in. I kid you not, the woman who's the host is wearing a kimono. At least her English was good, though. She's like, oh, hi, too. I was like, yeah, we're like, too. Do you guys want hibachi or do you just want the dining room? I wasn't in the mood for all that hibachi because hibachi is just like, it's too high energy for me. And they sit you with the, you know what hibachi is? They sit around and it, hibachi is kind of cheesy. It's lame. It's something you do for somebody's 19th birthday. Like any grown person that takes food and dining in the city of Milwaukee seriously, don't do hibachi because it's kind of a joke. It's, they throwing stuff up in the air and, Hoi! and they're chopping up stuff and they set stuff on fire. Like I don't need all that. I'm more low key and more chilled out. So we opted for the dining room. Well, when we were at Kyoto on Friday night, no, I'm sorry, Saturday night, I thought that our server's English, the one who had her in her pants, I thought her English was bad. The man that took our order at our waiter at the Japanese steakhouse called Ninja, just he was speaking Japanese English. We had we had to assume what this man was saying. Very authentic. Had a, had a, his hair in a bun like a samurai, like a warrior. Took our order. Food came out. Food was okay. Nothing to write home about in particular. We got the crab rangoon. We got the fried tofu, and we got a tempura lobster roll, which was eh, eh, it was eh, it was okay. So then. We're sitting, it was empty. There was hardly anybody there at the Japanese steakhouse. So we were just hanging out there, whatever. And then another man who we didn't see, who's not even dressed like he works at the restaurant. And maybe he was the owner or something. Because even the manager would be wearing something that would identify them as the manager. And so this, this man who was not waiting on us, just another man just comes up. Everything okay? I was like, yeah, it was cool. You want the check or what? I said, well, jeez, yeah, I guess we'll take it. Oh, what you get? Oh, you got lobster tempura? Mm, you shouldn't have got that. You should have got the other lobster roll. And he pew, walks away with the credit card. 
And so then our actual server, the one with the samurai bun in his hair, comes back. Oh, you, you ready to check? You re-? We're like, nah, some dude that we don't even know already grabbed our cards and we're paying the bill through. And he was shocked that another man that was not waiting on us came and took care of, of our bill. And so while he's our original server sitting at the table, like just in disbelief, like who is this person that brought you your bill? Then the guy comes over who comes back with a credit card and the bill. And then our original server just kind of disappeared like a ninja. And so that was my experience at the, uh, Japanese steakhouse that was Sunday afternoon and then Sunday night we hung out at my house and just finished watching the Queen's Gambit on Netflix. So that was the weekend. All right. Grant says. Nope, that's not for me. Nay says top of the morning and the happiest of born days to you and brother Z. It's also Zach's birthday, everybody. In case you don't know, Zach and I are twins, birthday twins only. I'm old enough to be his father. So much love, joy, peace, and blessings to y'all upon y'all special day and beyond. And y'all create this season and enjoy. If Gary, who lost the political bet, doesn't come through with dinner at Moe's for you, Zach and Carrie, I got y'all for real, for real. Thank you very much, Nate, but I could not ask you to do that because do you have any idea how much dinner for myself, Zach, and Carrie would cost at Moe's? That's – shout out to Victor. Do y'all ever hear the reference that we make to when women wear bonnets and they're called slave caps? So there's a guy who made up that term. When black women – it's a black man, by the way. He, he calls himself the slave cap guy. So I met him at Juneteenth Day a couple years ago. He and sometimes he doesn't really call in, doesn't really text all that much. But when he does text, he always uh, has his salutation in his text messages is slave cap guy. So I know that who so he knows that I know who he is. Right. So I'm leaving the station Friday afternoon and he was here. And I remember remarking, I don't know how many years ago, that I'm not really a fan of tequila. I don't really drink tequila. He was like, oh, no, no. Slave Cap guy texted in a couple of years ago. Sherwin, you're going to like this kind of tequila. You're going to love it. I, there's a particular kind of tequila that I love. You're going to love it. I said, no, nah, I'm not really a tequila drinker. This man comes up here, rushes up here from work, still wearing his work gear, I think in the middle of his work day, and brings me a bottle of it's – pre- it's in a box. It's presentation level. Don Julio, 1942. It is a beautiful, it's like a sculpted bottle in a presentation box that that opens from the side. It's just immaculate. He's like, oh, sure, well, here you go. I told you I was going to get you some tequila that I really think is really, really nice. I was like, oh, my God, man, it's, it's beautiful. In fact, the bottle and the presentation is so beautiful, I'm not even going to open it. It's literally on display in my house. We looked up how much that damn bottle of tequila cost. Vincent, thank you. This man brought me a $200 bottle of tequila that I don't think I'm ever going to drink because it is just so beautiful. So, Vincent, I really appreciate that. It's folks like you that make my birthday very special. Let me take a break, come back. We'll talk to Steven and read a bunch of text messages. And I also have got a perspective on the Civil War that I want to share with you all because it may, you know, change our ideas about how we talk about the South and the Confederacy. You're listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on the new 1017 FM. I'll be right back. This is The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Welcome back. Let's talk to 
Steven, you're on the new 1017 The Truth. How are you? I'm doing all right, sir. How about you? Sherwin is doing good. That's good to hear, man. I just wanted to comment on um, on Will Smith's situation. Yes, sir. Um, see, I know Brother Z, he's, he's a little younger than, than myself. He's younger than you. You know, but I've heard people talk about Will Smith. You know, he's a happy rapper. He's a happy dude rapper, you know, which in his later years, like Chris Rock said, he, he, he hears summertime from that slap ringing in his ears. But that was his later years. You know, Will Smith, he was, but you know, he crossed over a little bit. But it was his earlier years is where he made a name for himself, man. And you're old enough to, to notice. So I'm surprised that you, you know, said what you said about Will Smith. He made a name for himself in his earlier years. And it might have been because of his DJ, Jazzy Jeff. You know what I'm saying? Brand new funk. Rock the beat with your hand. You know, that. that's still a hit right now. Yes, it is. Brothers, you can look it up. Brand new funk. And, and this is when, you know, the, the rapper and the DJ, which I think that might have been probably one of his album titles. But the rapper and the DJ became a popular concept. And I know you know that. Come on, Run, Run DMC and it's so many other rappers that had a DJ. So I can't, I, I don't think a real DJ could ever take that away from Will Smith. You know, that's he made a name for himself in hip hop back then. You know what I'm saying? Riding on then, Jazzy Jeff's coattails because what I come to find out about Jazzy Jeff is he is like, so our favorite DJs, Jazzy Jeff is their favorite DJ. But here's the thing about Will Smith's music. And it fit into the the explosion of hip-hop at the time, but Will Smith's hip-hop, his delivery, started as crossover hip-hop. EPMD, yeah. Public Enemy, they didn't start as crossover hip-hop. He made hip-hop music for white people and for corporate America. He didn't start with, you know, words from the street and from the hood that ultimately evolved into getting popular repeal. He made happy-go-lucky, positive themes, which is great because I think in the overall diversity of hip-hop, that's important. But it just needs to be noted, there were other rappers, like Eric B. and Rakim, they are not and still are not to this day crossover hip-hop artists. Will Smith is not right, that right. and never and never would be that. So let me not take away from his his celebrity and the impact he had on hip hop, but there were much more authentic rappers that started speaking to us and speaking to a hip hop generation where hip where Will Smith wanted to speak to just as many Asian kids and Puerto Rican kids as he did black. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But his DJ was one of the champions. Out Still there. is. And like I said, his DJ. Yeah. His DJ was, you know, uh, one of the DMC champions, you know, at one time. So his DJ is what who made him popular. And then going back to uh, the slap, right? Yeah. <laughs> your your suspicion is correct because they were actually reenacting an old movie, bro. They was acting. They was reenacting a movie. I'm talking about Chris Rock and Will Smith. I'm talking about they reenacted a whole scene, bro. What's and the I movie? Seen it with my own eyes, huh? What's the name of the movie? I, I, that's what I was just gonna say. I wish I knew the name of the movie. I know exactly well, I what you're up. referring to, sir. And what you're referring to was a reenactment that was put on social media because everybody and their mama 
wanted to take advantage of that huge moment. So what happened was a little video clip was made and it was very similar. It was two white guys. One was on stage presenting at an award show. Another guy comes up and slaps them. Like that was made after the actual slap to make us think that it was a reenactment of something that happened. Yeah. If that's the same clip that you're referring to where you are saying it was from, it was a reenactment. Okay. Cause there's a bunch of reenactments that, that were circulating on social media to make people think that they were just doing a reenactment. No, no, that was, that was real because if it was all fake and if it was all planned in the last 12 months since it happened, we would know. And the fact that Chris Rock went in so hard and so personal on Jada and on Will, that was not at all staged. That was real. Because Chris Rock said it still hurts. Yeah, he <laughs> No, they legitimately hate each other, brother, because Will Smith has reached out a number of times yeah. through his publicist, through his team, to try and get a response from Chris Rock. Because if they were playing it up like it was all staged, then Chris Rock would, yeah. would be much more participatory. Chris Rock been silent for a year, and he let both of them have it. And really, who I think the culprit is, it's Jada. And so that takes a lot away from who I thought Will Smith was as a man, because if you remember, they flashed the camera to Jada after the slap, and she's laughing. Yeah, that's right, not right. that ain't funny to have your man embarrass himself and harm his career yeah. by doing something that you probably directed him to do, which is just a very, very sad thing, because I lose a lot of respect for a man who is led that way by his woman. Did it stop him from making money? Money ain't got nothing to do with it, bro. Uh, emancipation movie. Ain't got none. And money has money. Mo- yeah. When you get to that level, money is an afterthought. These folks don't do anything for money. You do things for your legacy. You do things because you want to be remembered as a legend. You do things because you want to be an inspiration. You do things because you want uh, art schools to be yeah. named after you. Money ain't got nothing to do with it. Because they'll tell you, rich people will tell you, once you get to a certain point, money doesn't matter anymore. In fact, it, it erodes your soul the more money you get. Will Smith ain't got to do nothing for money. Now, Jada, she might need to do stuff for money because anybody paying attention to her. That's why she's sleeping with her son's friends. But that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah, I, I think it was a business strategy, you know, for promotion on his part, him him and Chris Rock, because Chris Rock got paid and, and Dude got paid. So I, in my opinion, I, I think it was all, you know, planned and it was just a business move. All right. But I appreciate it, though, bro. Thank you, man. Appreciate your call. Have a good one. No, nah, I don't think it was. It wasn't planned because Chris would not go in so personal a year later. No, it was real. Because the Oscars, you got to keep this in mind. That is Hollywood's. For those of you that think it was staged, it wasn't. That is Hollywood's most glamorous, most prestigious exhibition of white supremacy in an industry. Do you think for a second that the people that want Hollywood to be seen as like the top echelon of all human art and creativity in the Motion Picture Association, the Academy. We're talking about the gold standard of prestige. Now that's been taken down some notches because of the Me Too movement and Harvey Weinstein and all those other folks. But I need y'all to be realistic about what country you are in. Do you think an industry that still encourages black actors to play slaves and to play robbers and crooks and murderers and criminals would have their most prestigious night where a billion people are watching have two Negroes fighting on stage? Do you realistically think that they would actually have that be a memorable part 
of the Oscars. In fact, the Oscars don't even want controversial comedians to host. Ellen DeGeneres, Billy Crystal. Kevin Hart said some stuff about gay people 10 plus years ago, and he got removed from hosting the Oscars. Ain't no way that the Oscars, you got to keep in mind the hashtag of Oscars so white is realistic. Because if you look at the number of African-American women in particular who have even been nominated, let alone the few that have won, the handful that have won, they played mammies, they played slaves, they played some white man's concubine. Oscar so white is a very real thing because the racism that exists in this country exists in every industry, including Hollywood, where Hollywood has much more of a profound and long lasting effect on American psyche because they can bury the racism and the racial stereotypes deep in the movies that we love. Now, remember, if there's a message hidden in some entertainment and we laugh or we cry or if we show emotion at the piece of cinema and they have buried racial subconscious messages in them, then those stereotypes are much more likely to stick. Ain't nothing that was staged about that slap because you would not a million years. White folks on their most prestigious night would have two Negroes fighting and slapping each other. Wouldn't happen. Especially Will Smith. If you're going to get somebody to slap Chris Rock, like get Mike Tyson to do it. You know what I mean? Like really make a spectacle out of it. You're listening to the truth. We're sure when he was on the new 1017 FM, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. You are listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. So that must have been uh, <clears throat> Sunday morning, yesterday morning. She asked me what I wanted for breakfast. I've been talking about pancakes, but I was like, nah, I don't want no pancakes. She said, uh, well, I'm going to make us some mimosas. We'll have some mimosas Sunday morning. I was like, cool. So she made, she's got these, these berries, blackberries, raspberries. Yeah, a little sugar to them, and you put that in the Prosecco. So I put it on my Instagram. So we had berry mimosas Sunday morning. And I said, you know what would make this better? She said, what? I said, go put on a string bikini and some high heels and pour my mimosa wearing bikini, little skimpy bikini and some heels. She's like, coming right up. I didn't believe she was going to do it. Sometimes I say stuff just to mess with people, not thinking they're actually going to do the things that I say. So I'm chilling in the room. I'm just chilling, watching TV. All of a sudden I hear, fellas, you know that sound? That sound of heels on a hardwood floor. Whatever the damn sound is. Carrie just said I did a horse sound. How does it sound? Click, clack it, click, click it, click, clack it, click, click. Carrie, can you find me the sound of hard 
heels on a hardwood floor. Anyway, that's what the sound was. I was like, wait a minute, I know this gal ain't put on no damn high heels at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. And I go into the kitchen. This woman is standing in the kitchen wearing a, how do I even describe it? Because she's voluptuous, you see. Um, she's chesty. She's got a flat stomach, though, and butt like a basketball. Wearing this blue string bikini with with heels on. Sorry, feminists. <laughs> I know that's not what y'all want to hear, but that's sorry. There are some women in the world who are actually okay, happy, and comfortable, and in their most confident self when they're being women. I know you guys hate that. I know you want women to all be men, but not all women. And if that's the case, n- no shade to anybody, right? Especially women who have embraced a new kind of feminism, which let's be clear a new kind of feminine. I don't need anybody. I'm independent. I can do everything. I can take on the world by myself. And I say, please, by all means, take some of this weight off of us men's shoulders. Ladies, you do all of it. But let's be clear, this new extreme brand of feminism, because everything nowadays is extreme because the Internet pushes everything toward the extreme. If you have an idea, the next day somebody's going to come up with one that's more extreme, including the concept of feminism, which used to simply mean Someone who a person who is in favor of equal treatment, equal rights for women. But now it's a little bit further. It's a little bit more extreme. So now feminism is toxic masculinity. And they're shaming men who are toxically masculine and rightfully so because it's dangerous. So shame the men that are toxically masculine. So they are no longer toxically masculine. So then they can be cuckolded by toxically masculine women. Because the thing about this country, it's not about equal rights. It's about the oppressor losing its power to oppress and the oppressed now becoming the new oppressor. What do you think the whole woke movement is? What do you think all these different hashtag movements are? It is people who have been disrespected and marginalized and who have been kind of pushed to the side, who haven't gotten fair treatment. It's about them now oppressing the oppressor. I mean, come hella high water, good or bad, indifferent, whatever. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's not about, oh, let's everybody be fair and have equal access to everything. It's like, no, if we were oppressed as black people, we want to be able to oppress too, because for us, that's what fairness is, to be able to, disrespect somebody to be able to kill somebody to be able to discredit somebody you know what the blacks do we do it with the gays that's what we do we want to be oppressors so bad we even oppress one another now i'm not saying this you know because i think it's righteous or because i think that is the way i mean that's just what what it is Oppressed people want to find someone to oppress. And if you can't oppress anybody else, you oppress whoever you believe is beneath you. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 101.7 FM. We'll be right back for hour two.